Welcome to the MR Running Pains Podcast. My name is Coach Aaron Saft, and uh, boy, I've kind of been through the ringer here the past week. Uh, those of you that heard my episode last week, I appreciate you guys reaching out. Uh, I did have COVID, uh, still kind of do, uh, still testing positive, unfortunately. But on the positive note, today was my first run. I felt um, almost normal, which was relieving. Um, it's uh, It's been rough, <laughs> for sure. Uh, when I recorded this episode with Dr. Judkins, uh, I was kind of in the midst of it, uh, pretty much <laughs> two days after my worst day with COVID. Uh, I'll be honest, I didn't have it as bad as, as many as I've heard. Um, it's just been kind of energy depleting. Uh, I just have felt zapped, uh, just uh, super you know, fatigued, lethargic, uh, needing to sleep a lot. Uh, but thankfully I haven't had much of a cough, um, which has been, you know, which has been good. It really hasn't really, hopefully knock on wood affected my lungs. So, um, <clears throat> feel like I'm coming off of it, uh, on the tailwind of it. I literally just did a test and unfortunately still coming up positive, but, uh, no one else, my family, Naka Wood, has got it, which I'm very relieved of. But uh, I read this passage in Addie Bracey's book as as I still go through it right now. I'm still reading Mental Training for Ultra Running. But she had this short little kind of passage, and they highlighted it because it, I thought it was just really great. Um, it put me in the right mindset because, you know, a lot of folks are just like, well, you got Bigfoot coming up. What's, you know, what's what's the plan now? Uh, it's still Bigfoot, um, and you know this. This passage kind of puts it succinctly: more training and more preparation don't give you more control over circumstances on race day. They give you more tools to respond to those circumstances. That's you know exactly what I need right now to think. Uh, read it one more time: more training and more preparation don't give you more control over circumstances on race day. They give you more tools to respond to those circumstances. So what I'm going to rely on, not only is am I going to rely on the fitness that I had prior to COVID, and I still have a few weeks, so I'm not overly concerned about losing you know, a week out to, uh, to COVID, but uh, I've got years of running experience. I've got years of problem solving and moving through mountains. Uh, I just have to <clears throat> be conscious of what fitness I do have, right? I have to think about uh, what state my body's in when I'm out there. You know, if if I'm pushing too hard or if the effort feels right, um, I've got to be conscientious about my fluids, you know, my my environment. Because in this chapter, it also talks about the the factors that we have to consider. And those considerations are environment and your current state. And then putting those both together to figure out where you're at, right? So, uh, Addie Bracey, great book, Mental Training for Ultra Running. Uh, really enjoyed going through this. This is chapter seven for those of you that have the book. Uh, so I just really great gems that I've, you know, kind of gone back to in this book, especially as I've gone through COVID. Uh, it's just really helped me uh, mentally, you know, be okay with uh, having to take a week off. Uh, I couldn't do anything otherwise, you know, it was beyond my control. I tried to go for a few walks and even pick it up into a jog, but my fatigue was just so high, just felt just drained. 
So uh, I didn't want to get sicker. So uh, I, you know, I let let things kind of resolve naturally, and I feel like I'm back at the point where I'm I'm good to go. So uh, all that to say, <clears throat> you know, uh, plans go forward for for Bigfoot. So uh, I'm going to talk more at the end of the episode. I've uh, got a great episode here with Dr. Judkins. I did let Dr. Judkins do a majority of the talking just because of how I was feeling. Uh, it was it was tough, <laughs> you know, uh, tough for me to get this interview. Uh, I really appreciate Dr. Judkins' patience and sharing his knowledge. I uh, appreciate your patience and, you know, in this process of me getting through this. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's all good. It's coming to a close. So uh, without uh, further... Uh, words for me, I'm going to give you Dr. Judkins. I have with me uh, Dr. Kyle Judkins. Um, and Dr. Judkins, it's good to see you, man. How are you? Good. I'm, uh, I'm better than you, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> as, as Kyle suggests, I'm uh, just tested positive for COVID. So um, I'm going to let <laughs> Dr. Judkins do a vast majority of the, the talking on this podcast, but I certainly appreciate you coming on and, and, and sharing this, this uh, topic with us. So, yeah, and in true uh, ultra runner fashion, you're going to push, push on. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Okay. No laughing. <laughs> no laughing. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Um, Kyle, why don't you just start out with a little introduction of yourself? Okay. Sure. Uh, I'm a family medicine doc uh, and sports medicine physician. Um, uh, so what that means is I did my post-medical school training as a family medicine doctor, and then I did a one-year fellowship in sports medicine, uh, which is a combination of non-operative orthopedics and um, you know, kind of an extension of primary care for the athlete. And so that does involve some discussion with folks about nutrition and performance. Um, and so, although I wouldn't consider myself an expert dietitian or nutritionist by any means, that's a whole bunch more training. Um, it, you know, this kind of thought process is always, you know, um, it is a part of our training. Um, so I, I have been with Part E UNC Health down in Mills River. Uh, and in a few weeks, uh, a month and a half, I guess I'm going to be starting at Emerge Ortho, which is an ortho group and I'll be up in Weaverville. So excited for that transition, but, um, have also had a, a, a great time with, with party. Um, so opportunity to do more coverage there, um, and gotten a chance to work with Aaron a couple of times on some events and, uh, um, just really excited to be here. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, uh, Kyle was our medical director for the, the Hellbender 100, which we can't thank him enough for. Um, <laughs> um, today's topic is supplements. Um, we always have these, you know, ads in our magazines. You know, they're pumping them on Facebook. You know, you, you take this, you take that. It's going to, you know, this is, this is what's going to be the, the silver bullet. So I uh, kind of just wanted to go through some things that, you know, we hear a lot about and, you know, get some, some ideas behind what's the reality. Yeah. So, um, you know, we've got to start, we've got a few of the vitamins and minerals. Mm -hmm. Um, let's just take one at a time. Um, let's go with vitamin D, especially, um, <laughs> what you told me, like having a higher vitamin D, uh, lessens the uh, likelihood of the effects of COVID. So that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, talk about vitamin D it's, uh, it's importance and, you know, sure. go right down, down the list. 
Yeah, so, so vitamin D is one of the most essential vitamins that you know we can talk about, mainly because a lot of us are actually deficient um, or close to deficient um, in the Northern hemisphere. Um, and some of that has to do with skin type and, and there's a lot of you know um, interesting science around that. But essentially, um, you know, you get you get vitamin D from um, food. Um, you're, you hear about, you know, it being a sunlight vitamin. So what happens there is, it's not like, you know, vitamin D is riding in on the photons from the sun and getting into your skin, but the UV light actually triggers a chemical reaction within your body to, um, to make vitamin D. So that's why they say 10 to 15 minutes of sun every day, direct sun without sunscreen, um, you know, is, is important. And, uh, so, you know, when we're talking about, you know, benefits and uh, risks of not having enough vitamin D, you, you definitely hear a lot about, um, or we talk a lot about skeletal health. Um, so if folks have, especially in post postmenopausal women, uh, if their vitamin D is too low, then, um, you know, vitamin D and calcium work very closely together in the body to make sure that your bones are metabolizing correctly so that they're building bone prevention of breakdown of bone, um, and so that's, that's a very important. And there's also some really interesting data out there about in, in the elderly uh, and also children, which is interesting, um, you know, improved muscle function. Uh, and they think that that's kind of why we see decreased fall rates in elderly when they have good vitamin D levels. Uh, so that's one of the things we actually talked about in family medicine is, you know, making sure that your vitamin D is, is at the appropriate level uh, so that you can actually reduce the risk of falls. Uh, and they think that has something to do with muscle function. Um, you know, you also see, and this may be relevant for you as well, Aaron, is <laughs> immune function um, is something that vitamin D seems to be linked to. And a lot of this stuff that we're going to talk about today, there's, there's a lot of data, but it, it's interesting. There's, there's not a ton of like, this is the exact recommendation, you know, that is going to be out there. You know, there's a little bit of difference for everyone. Um, but there are some general guidelines. So, you know, for immune system wise, um, they have linked, you know, um, decreased vitamin D to possible like autoimmune issues. And I think that has something to do with, um, how vitamin D interacts with the immune system and how it activates it. Um, so in fact, vitamin D is a suppressor of, um, what's called the acquired immune system. And so you have the innate immune system and the acquired immune system. The acquired immune system is kind of the one that goes haywire with autoimmune conditions. And um, so if you have a low vitamin D, then you have less suppression of that acquired immune system. And so they think that that might be uh, a link. And so they, they've, there are some studies out there linking low vitamin D to type one diabetes, multiple sclerosis, inflammatory bowel disease. So does that mean if you have a low vitamin D, are you going to get those things? No, not necessarily, but there are some correlations out there. Um, so I think it just highlights the central importance of vitamin D and not just our bone health, but immune health. There are some studies that link low vitamin D to increase colon cancer rate, um, breast cancer in postmenopausal women, as well as cardiovascular health. Um, so it's a pretty, it's a pretty important central, you know, vitamin uh, for our, for our bodies and our function. Right on. And is there, um, these are going to could be repetitive questions for each of these, but, um, uh, is there anything that helps absorption? 
Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a fat soluble vitamin. So vitamin A, D, E, and K are all fat soluble. So, um, meals. So, so in general, taking vitamin D with meals is better than taking it without meals. Uh, and also, um, high fat meals. So foods like avocado, eggs, uh, cashews, um, um, Haywood Commons fried chicken sandwich, of course, uh, <laughs> healthy fats, uh, is what we're talking about here, but yeah, so, so that will actually help absorb, um, some of the uh, vitamin D that you take as supplement. However, there are you know, like I said before, there is vitamin D found in certain foods. So, you know, fortified foods that you'll see in the grocery store, like, you know, fortified milk will have vitamin D and calcium added to it in addition to what's already there, but other dairy products will have that eggs, um, certain cereals like oatmeals and grains, um, yogurts, seafood, tofu, cod liver oil. Um, those are kind of the big, the big ones. Um, and then of course, sunlight and supplementation. Great. Um, and can we take too much? Yes. Uh, it is very difficult to do so actually. I remember as a medical student learning this and, uh, basically in my mind, it's always been this like impossible task, but, but there are cases out there of, uh, of over supplementation. You cannot get too much vitamin D from diet and sun. It's pretty much impossible. So the only way you're going to get this is by taking an insane amount of vitamin D and, and the numbers that I saw in the literature, was essentially 60,000 international units daily for several months on end. So, so the biggest dose that I ever prescribed is 50,000 international units weekly for eight weeks as a way to boost a very low vitamin D and that's within guidelines. Um, so this is 60,000 daily, not weekly. Uh, so it's, it's very hard to, uh, to get that. Gotcha. Okay. Anything else that we should touch on for vitamin D? Um, I, I thought it was interesting when you, when you think about like a multivitamin, a lot of people take a multivitamin and it, it gets enough, uh, you know, I'm wondering if they get, if they get enough from that, you know, the, 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 the recommendation daily is only about 600 international units daily. However, you know, like I said, a lot of us in this Northern hemisphere are deficient, um, or at least low normal. So it wouldn't be a bad idea. It's not, it's not really technically recommended as a screening test in primary care, but if you have a concern or, or you have a family history of osteoporosis or you're dealing with some fatigue or you're an athlete and you don't, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea to have your vitamin D checked. Um, and essentially there are certain levels that we look at. Um, and if it's below, for instance, 20, uh, nanograms uh, per milliliter in your, in your, in your blood, then we would think about giving you a, a bit of a higher dose than the 600 that's recommended. So maybe 5,000 a day or 50,000 a week, um, something like that. Um, so, yeah. So, um, I think that you do get about a thousand international units in like a centrum daily multivitamin, um, which could be enough for most people with diet, but, um, you know, sometimes that's not enough. Sure. Um, and when we, we talk about taking, you know, these supplements, um, is it advantageous to take them in pill form or, um, you know, we're, we're starting to see a lot more, um, I don't know, what would you call it? Like colloidal, like, like a powder where it's suspended in, in fluid. Um, yeah. it, so is there benefit to each or. Uh, there's or not really a benefit to each. As far as I know, it's kind of like whatever you will remember to take. Uh, so like gummies are really successful because they're 
delicious, you know, <laughs> so people will, will more likely take a little tasty gummy uh, than they would like a huge horse pill, you know, yeah. every morning right? Uh, or drops, you know, it takes a little bit more time. If you're running out the door and you want to get your vitamin D, are you going to spend the time to pour a glass of water, put some drops in, mix it up and then drink it all. Um, so, you know, it, it just depends on, on your style. Right. So like if I, I'm, I'm okay with Flintstones, I can still. Oh, absolutely. That. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Um, all right. Um, like, can we move on to iron? Sure. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So let's go, let's go through iron. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go ahead and, and give us the importance of, of iron. Yeah. Uh, so iron um, is another, you know, really central piece in our, in our bodies. Um, the main function of iron has to do with um, it's a very important factor with, with hemoglobin and um, how hemoglobin, which carries oxygen in our blood. So heme is the protein in our red blood cells that carries oxygen and, and iron is, is crucial for the proper functioning of, of heme. So um, if you are low on iron, then um, you, your body essentially can become anemic. And there's a, a, you know, the diagnosis for that is usually iron deficiency anemia. It's only one type of anemia. There are many types of anemia and anemia technically is low blood volume, you know, and so uh, not, not volume, but low hemoglobin. Um, so there are, there is a, there is a decreased capacity to carry oxygen. Um, and of course, in athletes, um, this is a huge issue because you depend on oxygen getting to your muscles, uh, to, to function as an athlete. Um, iron is, is found, you know, obviously in supplementation, um, but it is in red meat. Um, it is in certain, um, other types of foods. If you're not a meat eater as well, um, uh, you know, there's, but if you are a vegan or a vegetarian, you do have to pay a lot more attention about how you're getting your, your iron. Um, and other populations that are a bit more at risk, uh, would be, uh, menstruating females. So you are bleeding every month, you're losing blood. Uh, you can, you know, if you are not, uh, supplementing and when I say supplementing, that could just be through diet, um, you know, appropriate replacement of, of iron that you're losing, then you can become iron deficient. Um, and we, we do see a lot of this in, in, um, young female athletes sometimes. Uh, so, um, it's something that to, to keep an eye on, uh, if there is regular blood loss in someone. So, you know, the other way you'd see this would be, uh, just a poor diet. Um, there are some like metabolic conditions that inhibit, uh, absorption of iron and that can be in multiple places in the gut. Uh, and so sometimes it's not as simple as just, you know, you're not eating enough iron. Sometimes the body doesn't absorb enough iron. Um, and vitamin C is also quite important in absorption of iron. Um, so, you know, taking a little bit of vitamin C, uh, before you take a iron supplement, for instance, will help absorb the, uh, the, the iron. So, you know, everything works together. So that's, you know, I think that as I was sort of reviewing some of this information, it just really struck me how important balance is. Um, and that's kind of a central theme to being an athlete anyway. So like, is it, you know, what people are asking, what diet do I eat? What do I, you know, how do I maximize my performance? You know, it is going to be different for a lot of people, but like I just said earlier, like fat is important. You need fat for 
vitamin D absorption. Um, you know, red meat might be important for you. Um, so, uh, anyway, getting off topic a little bit, but <laughs> that's totally fine. Um, so a few things that, um, brought to mind while you were speaking about it. Um, when I, uh, I was anemic back in college and, mm. uh, as I was trying to boost my, um, my ferritin levels, that's correct. Right. You, you're trying yeah. To so yeah. Ferritin is long-term storage form of iron. Yeah. Right. So you're trying to boost the ferritin levels. I was told that like dark drinks, like mm. tea, um, Coke, uh, yep. coffee, mm-hmm. uh, does not help with absorption. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, yeah. So certain, uh, you know, I'm not, I, I did not review that, but it, it, that is something that, uh, is in the back of my mind as well as, you know, it might be the caffeine, um, caffeinated drinks. Um, that would make sense because they're all um, caffeinated, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, but I, I would have to double check on that. Okay. All yeah. right. Okay. Um, other question. Um, and I've had this arise with certain athletes is how does anemia affect, uh, training or, or running at altitude? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so iron, you know, like I said, is a central piece for heme function. And if you are, if your body is low on iron, then that, that heme, the hemoglobin is not going to carry oxygen as well. Uh, and when you're at altitude, your body does that even less, you know, even more poorly anyway. And so, uh, your body has to work harder to carry the oxygen, um, to, there's less oxygen available, right? So you need to, sometimes our body will, uh, develop, um, quote unquote, thicker blood at higher altitudes. So it will, you know, erythropoietin will be upregulated, which is a, a, a hormone that triggers the bone marrow to make more red blood cells. And so when it makes more red blood cells, it's, it needs more heme. And then if it needs more heme, you need the iron there to, uh, to build those to, as a, as a part of the building blocks. So, you know, if you're anemic at, a, at, elevation, um, you can, you can really expect to have even worse, worse outcomes. Um, I don't think you can say that like, you know, being at elevation will put you at a higher risk of anemia, but if you, you know, if you are anemic or develop anemia at elevation, then you may have even harder time, um, training. Performing. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Performing for sure. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, now, like, as we talked about with vitamin D, um, I have heard about the, the high end, if you over supplement on iron, it can be a problem. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? Yes. So, um, there, there's actually a, uh, a condition called hemochromatosis, which essentially, um, you don't get this by over supplementing, but, but as a, as an example of what can happen, um, with over supplementation, you know, your, your body and hemochromatosis, your body essentially stores too much iron. Um, and so these people have to actually donate blood every so often to drop their blood levels. And, and, um, and they have to be very careful about iron rich foods. Um, and it can actually cause complications, uh, like diabetes through a complex metabolic pathway, um, and, you know, liver dysfunction. So their, their liver enzymes need to be checked regularly. So the same thing kind of thing can, can happen with, you know, sort of too much iron. Um, I, I think it's pretty, unless you're getting like IV infusions of iron, um, your body is not going to allow you to take in 
an insane amount of iron. You're going to be so constipated. <laughs> uh, you know, your, your body kind of has a, a self check on some of these things. Um, and again, yeah, not a dietitian. They would probably give you more uh, educated answer on this with studies. Um, but, uh, you know, if you are supplementing iron and you're doing it appropriately, you really don't have to worry about like over supplementing or, or through diet. Like you're not going to, unless you're eating like a thousand steaks a day, I don't, you're not gonna, you're not gonna over, uh, over, uh, indulge in iron. Okay. Um, that, you know, I guess that would lead me to my next question is should people be supplementing iron? Is that something that they should do on their own? Or would you recommend that they make sure with, you know, a medical, uh, yeah, okay. a blood test? Yeah. Um, I think that certain populations are at higher risk. And so if you are, um, an athlete, a female athlete that's menstruating, um, then you are losing blood every, you know, usually every 28 days that can vary. Some women have heavier menstrual cycles than others. Uh, and so that is, um, that is a risk factor for developing anemia in combination with, um, dietary intake. Uh, but sometimes even, um, you know, men and women, uh, or non-binary folk who are athletes who are doing ultra running, for instance, um, you can have a different kind of anemia, um, like, a basically a hemolysis. So you're getting, you're getting breakdown of hemoglobin just from basically sheer trauma over miles and miles of, of running. And, you know, in combination with an iron deficiency anemia that could, could certainly worsen your, uh, your, your picture, clinical picture. But, um, anyway, so I, my, <laughs> your answer, the answer to your question is not everyone needs to be tested for iron. I think if, if they are, if the athlete is performing well and they are, you know, uh, they're not having any symptoms consistent with an anemia, um, such as fatigue or shortness of breath out of proportion to, you know, where they think they should be, um, or decreased performance, um, then, then that something like that, doesn't really need to be checked. Um, I think that, you know, when you get to like a D one level or professional sports, they're probably checking these things, but it's debatable whether that's always necessary. Uh, anything else we should touch on with iron? Um, you know, if you are thinking about just supplementing, um, you know, you, you, I, I've heard, you know, professional triathletes and, and professional runners talk about just, you know, when they, when they're at elevation, they take iron. Um, it's, you know, I would really talk to a, a sports physician or a nutritionist before doing something like that. Cause there, it's not a benign vitamin. It actually can cause uh, stomach upset, um, constipation. Um, and, uh, sometimes people don't tolerate it very well. So if you're, you know, if you're just taking it because you think you should, that might not be the right move. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Okay. Um, let's talk about omegas. <clears throat> All right. Um, omegas, uh, these kind of have come in and out of flux. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, I can remember in, in high school, um, you know, <laughs> back in the nineties, back in the eighties. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> um, reading uh running times and, and runner's world and yeah. articles coming out about omegas and you know their mm -hmm. their importance um and then they seem to kind of you know fall to the background for a while they're still there but mm -hmm. uh and then you know every once in a while it's kind of like every trend you know they yeah. push to the forefront again as, as mm -hmm. something or someone does some research and finds something um 
but talk about omegas. Um, are they a necessary supplement? What are they? All that mm-hmm. good stuff. Uh, so, you know, omega omegas are essentially polyunsaturated fatty acids. So the, the PUFAs, um, uh, PUFA, the ones that we're really talking about are omega three and six, and the numbers just didn't denotate the chemical structure. So where the double bond is in the chain of, um, fatty acid. And so omega three is, is the one that we think about the most. It's the seafood related omega. So that's the fish oil, uh, omega sixes are, uh, are a bit more with like, um, um, flaxseed and walnuts. Um, oh no, sorry. I'm hold on. That's not correct. Um, omega three and sixes are, are both fatty acids, but then you can further break them down into long chain and intermediate chain. Sorry. So the, the long chain, that's the, if you see on the bottles at the store, you know, that are, you know, uh, fish oil or whatnot, it'll say EPA and DHA. Um, those are the long chain fatty acids. Those are the seafood derived um, fatty acids. Okay. Um, and then there's the intermediate chain and, and ALA is the one that is the most commonly seen intermediate chain. Um, and that is found more in plants, flaxseed, walnuts. So when I talk to a patient about like increasing their diet, you know, increasing the omegas in their diet to perhaps reduce cardiovascular risk or reduce cholesterol or triglycerides, I'll talk about, you know, fish and, um, things like flaxseed, walnuts, um, and there's a whole, there's a whole list that I, I usually give them. Um, so, you know, what are they? They're these fatty acids. They're, they're important for cell membrane. Uh, they're, they're building blocks for the cell membrane. So they're completely necessary for our basic function. Um, you know, so in our retina, for instance, uh, they, they're, they're particularly important for like eye health, um, brain function. So there is a lot of research in like Alzheimer's and dementia, you know, can we, or even like mental sharpness, um, uh, do, um, does omega supplementation kind of help with that? Um, and again, like you, like you alluded to, these are very important in our bodies. They're very important supplements, uh, or, or facets to our diet, but, um, you know, are they, are they the golden ticket to high performance or preventing Alzheimer's or the the data does definitely does not support that wholly, you know? Um, so adding omega threes or omega sixes to your diet, um, will definitely increase your, or excuse me, decrease your risk of cardiovascular disease. Um, it, it will probably lower your triglycerides. And if that is a risk factor for you based on your family history and your current, you know, lipid panel, um, then, you know, that will potentially long-term improve your performance as an athlete just by becoming a healthier person. But, um, as far as I know, there is not a definite, you know, literature based performance enhancing property to omegas. I think Aaron's left the building. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, there he is. <laughs> yeah. Hit the darn unmute button. Uh, wake up, Aaron. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> unmute button wasn't working. Um, so uh, along that thread, um, a person that is on a, a low carb diet, a high fat diet, mm-hmm. would this you know be something that they might you know be into uh, since we're we're talking more lipids in the diet, right? Higher fats. Um, would you suggest that for? Uh, for somebody? 
Well, they're, if they're doing a high fat diet, they're, they're probably getting, they're probably getting a fair amount of omegas already. Okay. Um, I mean, they're, cause you know, they're, they're probably eating fish, uh, which has fat, um, you know, avocados will have some omegas, um, um, you know, so a lot of the good food that we think of that has, um, high fat content, um, will have a good, a good amount of omegas. Um, you know, your question about, do we need to supplement, um, omegas are not something that we measure unless you're in like a study situation. So it's never something that we ever like check on a physical or mm. anything like that. So, um, because if you were low, <laughs> low on omegas, you wouldn't be forming cell membranes, which means, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't exist. So, <laughs> I mean, like there's probably, if someone's obviously in starvation, then that that's clearly different. But, um, but if someone is, is just, you know, trying to, uh, improve their, their general health, um, it, th- th- these have very specific goals, you know, reducing triglycerides, reducing cholesterol, um, decreasing risk of cardiovascular disease. Okay. All right. Um, anything else we need to touch on with omegas? No, I think that's it. Okay. All right. Now let's move on to probiotics. Yeah. Um, what are probiotics and what do we hope to gain from taking them? So, you know, probiotics are essentially, uh, bacteria colonies, uh, they're bacterial, um, microbes that normally exist in our gut, um, that are part of the homeostatic balance of flora. Um, so we need these, um, bacteria to exist because otherwise our gut does not function properly. Um, and so when you have, that's why, for instance, you know, if you've had a really bad, you know, pneumonia, bacterial pneumonia or something like that, and you need a really strong antibiotic, um, for, you know, seven to 10 days, uh, you may have some pretty prolonged side effects of diarrhea afterwards. And sometimes that's because that flora is just so disrupted. Um, so, you know, they, they do have beneficial properties for the host, which is us. Um, they, you know, when we're talking about probiotic supplements, there are certain ones that we look for, um, and, and, you know, the different products that are out there. And, and I did kind of take a look at what's out there, the, the main, the main products that are sort of in the literature that are on the shelves that you can purchase. Uh, there's a, a product called VSL number three, uh, Align, which you might've heard of Culturel, Dan active multi-floor and uh, flora store. The last two are often prescribed by like GI docs and they all have a, a variable um, like population of these probiotics. So some will have lactobacillus, um, some will have non-pathogenic E. coli, some will have different clostridium species, um, streptococcus species. So there's, there's different types of bacteria that are kind of more important than others um, to look for when you're um, purchasing probiotics and there's different brands that kind of have this on lock. Um, and essentially what they do is like I said, they, they, they maintain balance. So they suppress the growth of pathogenic bacteria, um, on, you know, the, the epithelial lining of the, of the GI tract. Um, and they, they take up space. They, they, um, also put pressure on, you know, they inhibit the growth of uh, other species, not just bacteria, like fungal infections. And so sometimes for women, for, for instance, we're not, this is not bowel, but, you know, yeast infections after, 
uh, after after antibiotics. That's also a reflection of how our natural flora can be disrupted by an antibiotic, um, and and so you know possibly can be restored by probiotics uh, or prevented by probiotics. Um, they also have an important function in intestinal barrier function. So the cells that line our intestines, they, they sort of depend on these bacteria being there to function properly. Um, and then interestingly, um, you'll, you'll see a lot like folks with either IBS, which is like irritable bowel syndrome or more, even more severe than that, like inflammatory bowel disease. So like ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease, which are very serious conditions and can have long lasting, uh, and, um, complications. Um, it can actually modulate gut pain perception. Um, so having a good balance of flora in your gut um, and, and taking probiotics, if you have something like IBS or IBD, then that can actually reduce pain um, that's coming from your gut. So it's, it's, it, they're, 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 we're learning more and more about, about these as, as time goes on, but they, they are definitely very important and they make us think in the primary care world think twice about just prescribing antibiotics for, for a cold, for instance. Um, right on. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, okay. Um, so you kind of answered the question about who should take them and, and perhaps why. Um, and your last piece, when you were just talking about prescribing antibiotics, perhaps um, for, you know, a cold or something uh, I was just reading, I think it was the Mayo clinic, you know, just, things that you shouldn't do when you're sick and they say, don't take, um, probiotics. Um, is that because you want the antibiotic effect or, you know, would it's it- interesting. I think it depends. You saw that on like the, the Mayo Clinic online thing. Right. <clears throat> I think, uh, it, that might just be like general advice of like, uh, you know, if your immune system's down, mm-hmm. um, there are some rare cases of, of having like a sepsis or like a major infection from probiotic supplementation. So if your immune system is really shot and you're really sick, maybe it's not a great idea to take probiotics, which you know, it's bacteria, right. That you're taking right. in. Um, but I think in general, like if you have a mild cold or, or, or even COVID something like that, like I, I, you don't need to disrupt, like if you take probiotics every day, you can continue taking them. I think that what they're saying is like, you know, basically consult with your physician about whether that's appropriate to continue. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. I think that like a lot of times when I prescribe an antibiotic, I'll say, um, take a probiotic, you know, about two hours after you take the antibiotic, um, and, and continue to take that throughout your, the course of using the antibiotic. Um, very good. I guess we should probably also mention since we've talked about pro and anti, but what is a prebiotic? <laughs> oh boy. You know, <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> I would have to read more about that. I apologize. Okay. Yeah. No, that's okay. That's okay. Can't expect you to know everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Anything else on probiotics? Um, no, I don't think so. I, I think my, 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 the thought about prebiotics is I think it's, it's, it's essentially like a precursor to, it allows your body to like optimize what it has for the probiotic colonies, but I, I don't really know a lot about it. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, okay. Let's, uh, let's get into specifically for uh, running and ultra running and talk sure. about um, electrolyte tablets. Yeah. Big topic. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so let's start out with just saying what electrolytes are we looking to replace? What do we lose, um, mm -hmm. you know, through perspiration and urination yeah. and all that? So the, the, the big thing is sodium. Um, and that's what a lot of the research, you know, ends up pointing towards is that is, is losing sodium. And, uh, and I think, yes, you, you probably lose other ones like potassium or potassium can be, you know, uh, uh, the levels of potassium can change in your blood during like an endurance event. But, but the main one that we, that we talk about replacing and helping to prevent cramping and all that is sodium. Um, and that, you know, certainly you've heard of like salty sweaters, like the people who just are like caked in salt when they're finishing a race and other people don't have that. So there's definitely a difference amongst athletes of, you know, how, how they sweat and how they, how they lose salt. And so some, you know, this is a common theme throughout this topic is like self, you know, experimentation with, with different, um, products and, and how you, how you replenish your electrolytes. Um, but, but yeah, sodium is the main one. Um, is it true that, you know, if your, um, your diet includes, um, high sodium content that you're going to lose a lot more sodium, like that's you know, potentially why we see that white chalky stuff on, you mm -hmm. know, other runners is just cause perhaps their diet is just high in it so that they're, they're preloaded already with so much sodium in their body. There, there, there may be like a, a little bit of that, but I, I don't think that that's like a dramatic force. Uh, actually, in fact, what's it, what is in the literature is the amount of, um, like they actually had some studies that I was looking at with ultra runners. And after like 162 kilometer race, there was, they, they would measure pre and post race sodium levels and the intake of sodium. So they probably had some groups that were taking in higher levels of sodium, some not as high, um, only resulted in like a 6% difference in the post sodium, uh, levels. So I think that's a very small change. And, and the general theory is that what affects sodium levels more is actually under hydration or over hydration. And so that's why the hydration piece is so key to, to this topic. But, but I, I, you know, like I said, so there may be a small percentage that is affected by, um, how much salt you have in your diet, but, but whether you're going to lose a lot of salt, I don't think you can make a direct correlation to like, Oh, I, I take in this many milligrams of salt per day. So I'm going to be salty when I sweat. So when we're running, um, you know, good idea to, uh, have electrolyte within our, our fluids, uh, you know, not just yeah. carry water in other words. Exactly. Um, so especially for the general rule is like, if you're exercising for longer than an hour, um, you should, you should have electrolytes on board. Um, now how much electrolytes and, and how many calories and, you know, all those things are, there are some general guidelines, but it is going to be, uh, a lot of self-experimentation, um, and, uh, can, you know, one product may upset someone's stomach while another one does not for that person. So, um, it, it can be frustrating, but it, I think that as long as you are supplementing with electrolytes, uh, if you're exercising for at least an hour and, uh, and there's different theories about how you hydrate as well that we can get into, but, um, and, and, and hydrating then, and you experiment with how your body reacts to different stresses, like duration of endurance or duration of exercise and humidity and heat, um, then you can find the right 
rhythm for you. Okay. Um, yeah. well, let's, let's touch on your daily hydration while we're here. Um, so how much electrolyte should we be supplementing through our hydration during the day? Uh, is there like, is it okay to just drink water or should we also include some, some electrolytes throughout the day? You mean like not exercising? Just Correct. Yeah. Non-exercise. Yeah. If I'm just uh, sitting working on my computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, uh, you can, you can just be drinking water. I think that you're going to get enough electrolytes from food. Um, you know, if you're, if you, if you're sitting at your computer after a f- eight hour run, then maybe that's a little different, <laughs> sure, <laughs> but, sure, sure. but, uh, no, yeah, water is fine. Um, another big topic that has come to light, um, recently is preloading, um, mm. and kind of, kind of saturating yourself prior to running with electrolytes, you know, mm. really, really high sodium, uh, before the run, um, thinking that, you know, you're going to have more on board so you don't deplete as quickly and you're going to consume more. So you're going to keep your electrolytes up higher. Have you read into any of this or have any opinion on it? I think that, um, you could probably apply the same data that I was just talking about with, you know, level of sodium supplementation or replacement, um, not really having a huge effect on, um, let me rephrase, uh, in a preload situation, you know, you're, you're having a significant sodium loss throughout a certain amount of time of exercise probably has more, it has more to do with hydration than it does. Um, and, and changing that balance of, of electrolytes. So I would probably advise against preloading, um, and, and focus more on replacement, um, throughout, throughout exercise. Uh, so like for, for like a, there is a difference actually. Um, they, they note, you know, exercising for 30 minutes to four hours. Um, you can pretty much rely on, you can calculate and we can get into this more detail if you want, but we, you can calculate your sweat rate. Um, and you can pretty much determine how much like fluids you need to replace, um, so that you don't over or under hydrate. Um, and as long as you have some electrolytes in some of what you're drinking, your electrolytes will probably remain pretty stable, but after four hours, it's almost like all bets are off (laughs) your, uh, you know, after four hours, it's, it's, you know, your, you have other factors. Uh, so you start to lose, um, like, some muscle mass, um, you start to lose, you know, um, the, 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 you lose like cellular water. So it gets, it gets a little bit more intense as your body exercises for longer. You're not just, you know, burning your glycogen and some, you know, some, some, some reserves there, you're actually getting into your tissue. And, and so that that's harder to calculate, um, what you need. Sure. Uh, So like for like the hellbender, you know, like people are running for anywhere from 23 or 22 hours to 40 hours. And, um, so that 40 hours, you know, it's almost impossible to maintain the level of hydration and electrolytes that you're going to need for the whole time. And so, you know, that's why experimentation and really having an understanding of how your body feels after a certain amount of exercise is so important. Right on. Yeah. Um, 
I, yeah, I encourage my athletes to do sweat tests at, at various yep. temperatures. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Do you want to just touch on that? So folks understand what that sure. is. Sweat test? Yeah. So, so sweat, determining a sweat rate is, is, is pretty easy. Um, you have to think about all fluids in and out, right? So, you know, before you do the test essentially, and you can add in what you, cause you probably work with athletes more about this than I do, but from a, from a procedural perspective, it's basically you void bowel and bladder. Um, and then you weigh your, you weigh yourself, um, and, and you can weigh yourself, uh, you know, with no clothes on with, with your running stuff on whatever you want to do to keep things consistent. Um, and you want to try to, when you're doing this, you want to try to stimulate or simulate like a competition, comp, um, conditions, or like you said, experiment with heat or altitude or, or whatnot. Um, so then you measure your weight after exercise and essentially sweat rate is body mass change per hour. Um, and knowing that water, you know, so the number of liters of fluid, one liter equals one kilogram. So you can calculate, you can calculate, um, the relationship between fluid loss and body weight change. So essentially sweat rate is like a liters per hour value. Um, and that's equal to body weight change plus the amount of fluids you took in, in liters, which is essentially equal to kilograms, um, minus the urine volume that you, that you, uh, excrete. So and that's, and that's in liters as well. So you get this number that's in liters per hour and that's your sweat rate. So, so, you know, that you can, you know, what amount of fluid you need to compensate essentially. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you, is that kind of what you tell um, athletes? Yeah. Um, we typically convert to ounces. Just, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, just a different easier, system, but mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. that way we know this many ounces we drank. You know, so then you're just subtracting. Nice. You know, yeah. So, but yeah, that's same protocol. I'll try to put the protocol in the show notes. Yeah, that's uh, cool. That's I'd be interested to see that. Sweat. I've never done it myself uh, for me. Uh, yeah. But it's the same protocol. It's protocol. And then how do you, what do you tell athletes? Uh, so yeah, we can only replacing. replace, yeah, we can only replace about 20 to 30 ounces in an hour. You know, yeah. and, and so if they're beyond that, then they have to recognize this is your deficit post run that you need to, mm-hmm. you need to get back in you. So for instance, right. like if they, let's say they, they, they did 42 ounces was their sweat test. They lost mm-hmm. 42 ounces. Um, then, um, you know, we're looking at, um, trying to replace 20 to 30, whatever they can do. So let's say they got 20. So we're still in deficit of what 27. Mm-hmm. So that 27 needs to be made up post run. Yeah. That's how we do it. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, we, we typically break it down in quarters too. So every 15 minutes you should be taking in, you know, mm. so if, if you can go towards the 30 side, you know, we'll say yeah. like, let's try for seven ounces yeah. every 15 minutes. So. And that kind of reduces the, you know, the discomfort you might have from right. drinking a lot and a lot. Like, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So nice. That's, yeah. that's what we try for, but I'll try to put that in the show notes. And if you're, if you're going for like a 30 minute run, this is less important. This right. is, this is definitely more important for like 60 minutes or beyond. Yeah. Especially beyond. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, um, electrolytes within the fluids, um, obviously that's, that's easy. We also have a lot of, um, tablets, you know, that, that people can, uh, ingest, chew, yeah. et cetera. Um, you know, uh, do you think if you're already taking, uh, electrolytes in your fluids, um, 
I guess it would depend on the conditions too, how hard you're sweating and et cetera, but like, are these needed? Yeah. Um, what I read about, and this kind of goes along with what I've learned in the past is that, you know, sodium supplements. So like salt tabs and things like that, um, have minimal influence on total body sodium and are not much of a defense against, um, you know, hyponatremia. Uh, so low sodium. So again, sorry, I sound like a broken record, but it keeps going back to hydration or overhydration. So if you have overhydration, you're going to decrease the relative level of sodium in your body. And that's what kind of put you at risk for hyponatremia, which is an extremely serious, um, condition. Um, so I think that, you know, but, but as a part of experimentation, you know, if you're an ultra runner and you're running like a 50 K and you do better and you cramp less and you feel, uh, stronger if you have one or two salt tabs at, you know, 30 K and then you do a little bit later too. Like, I mean, that that's part of your experimentation and that's, that's probably fine. It's not like it's going to have a huge adverse effect. And so I think that's where it comes down to some experimentation of how your body handles these stresses. And what's happening when our fingers start to swell, when we start getting the sausage fingers, what, what's going on there? Uh, so there's probably, um, an intracellular extracellular shift of fluids. And so you're getting, um, you know, perhaps let me think about this. So you're probably having a shift of fluid from inside the cells to extracellular. So you're getting an extracellular shift of fluid to compensate for a, um, change in, uh, solute, uh, concentration. And that's where the swelling will come from. And that, and that's, that's a bad sign. I would say that's probably, <laughs> that probably means that your electrolytes are a little bit off and your hydration is, is needs to be optimized. It's so not, it's not something normal, higher electrolytes, perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps a little bit of higher electrolytes or paying attention to, um, are you overhydrating instead of, so when I say overhydrating, I mean like just water. So if you're, are you drinking too much, just, you know, pure water mm-hmm. as opposed to not enough, um, uh, like electrolyte drink with, uh, with the water. Yeah. That's fair. Okay. Um, and then can we take too much, uh, electrolytes? Yeah, probably <laughs> <laughs> I would, I, I don't have a number for you. Um, but I think <laughs> what you'll probably run into more is like uh, GI distress. Um, okay. you know, if you, if you just like pound electrolytes and no water, um, or, or, you know, it's mixed in water, but no pure water, then you're just gonna, you're not gonna feel good. And you'll, you'll probably have some electrolyte disturbance, but very difficult to cause an electrolyte disturbance. Um, if you're hydrating well, and you just take in a ton of electrolytes, it's not, you're at less danger of having hypernatremia than you would be if you underhydrated. If that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so I think that, that that's like, that should make people feel more comfortable about using electrolytes. Like if you do like one scoop or if you put like three scoops in instead of two, like relax, it's okay. You know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna have like hypernatremia because you put three scoops instead of two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, so, it, but what could cause hype, hypernatremia, so high sodium in your blood is if you like do a two hour run and don't drink any water whatsoever. You know, I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about how 
I, I could be confusing this as my COVID brain is not very sharp right now. Um, but um, when you add a sugar to um, an electrolyte, it helps with absorption. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So um, you're challenging my like organic chemistry brain from like 2004. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so there are some transporters and cell membranes that are act as co-transporters. So you need a glucose molecule to transport like a sodium molecule and, uh, it's called a co-transporter. And so if you don't have enough glucose, then you can't transport another electrolyte with it. So, so yeah, so a lot of the, you know, like a lot of the drinks that are out there will have some they'll have calories, they'll have sugar in it as well. And that's, and that's one of the reasons why, uh, and it also helps with replacing, you know, it's liquid calories as you're running or cycling or whatever, um, you know, you, that, that serves dual purpose, but, but yeah, there is a, there is a chemical explanation for that. Okay. Yeah. Biochemical. Yeah. Um, is, is chromium, is that one of our electrolytes? Oh man. These are good questions, Aaron. Uh, chromium is a heavy metal. So I don't believe this is one. Okay. I'm going to say, I don't know. Okay. All right. Not sure. um, yeah. Cause you know, goo, who is one of the, the major yeah. kind of, you know, brands out there. Um, yeah. they have a whole supplement line and chromium <laughs> is one Interesting. of them. Huh. Uh, I haven't read about that yet. Okay. Cool. Um, I'll look so, at that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not sure what the value of chromium is, um, yeah, but, here. um, but yeah, that's, uh, or, uh, not, uh magnesium, sorry. Magnesium. Oh, magnesium. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say chromium. Is, yeah. Magnesium. Sorry. Sounds weird. Again. Um, yeah. COVID brain. Yeah. COVID brain. Yeah. Magnesium. Sorry. Magnesium. Magnesium. Yeah. So magnesium is definitely important with muscle contraction. Uh, and, um, it is one of the ones that we can actually measure in your blood. Um, if you're very low on magnesium, it can affect like smooth muscle contraction too. So that's like arterial, uh, cardiac, um, muscle function. So if you have really low magnesium, it would put you at higher risk of like cardiac arrhythmias, same with potassium, um, high or low. Uh, so, so yeah, the, like magnesium, like we always think about magnesium supplementation to help people with really bad cramping, um, like at night, if they're just in bed or like running, uh, exercising. So. Um, I think that's probably why you're seeing it in supplements. I don't think that there's, again, like this is one piece of the puzzle. It's not the only thing that matters with cramping. Sodium also matters. Hydration also matters. Um, sugar matters, but you know, magnesium certainly is involved with, with that. So they, they're probably seeing it in those supplements as a way for, you know, from a marketing perspective, like, you know, less likely to cramp. That's gotcha. so, yeah. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Fair, fair, fair. Okay. Uh, anything else that we should talk about with electrolytes? Um, I think just to reiterate, and this is a recommendation from the wilderness medical society, clinical practice guidelines is that sodium and or salty snacks, um, should be consumed along with appropriate fluid volume and that salt intake should not be combined with over drinking which can increase your risk of, uh, electrolyte hyponatremia, um, or sorry, exertional hyponatremia despite sodium consumption. So it just, it, it gets back to that balance. And that the, the biggest risk for you developing an electrolyte disturbance is under or over hydrating. Um, yeah. 
I will also say one more thing that you should look at as an athlete. If you're an endurance athlete, you should definitely look at the different, and maybe you talk about this with your athletes, uh, styles of hydrating. So there's, there's different principles. Like there's the only drink when you're thirsty. Uh, there is a timed out, um, you know, drink at certain intervals, no matter what you're feeling. Uh, those are the two kind of main, main ones, but there's like five or so different, different ways of doing this. And some are not recommended by anyone, and, <laughs> but they exist. Uh, and some are sort of like, you got to kind of figure out what works for you. Right. So only drinking when you're thirsty definitely reduces your risk of overhydration. Uh, but it maybe increases your risk of underhydration and hypernatremia a little bit. Uh, however, the other one sort of drinking at intervals, despite how you feel might increase your risk of overhydration a little bit. Um, so it all, it, again, it comes back to that experimentation and, okay. you know, scaling up. Right. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to our, our last supplement. And this is uh, one that I first became aware of again, through the goo. Um, and I should also note that I have no affiliation with goo. <laughs> um, but, but if goo's listening to this, I do like, uh, I do like having the independence, so I don't have to you know, push, yeah, push one thing or another. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but BCAAs, yeah. uh, branch chain, branch chain amino acids. Yeah. Um, so what are branch train chain, you know, yeah, acids? Yeah. I'm Besides a really great tongue twister. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so we have amino acids, which are building blocks for proteins. There's essential amino acids, which means we have to eat them to, to, um, to have them in our bodies. And then there's non-essential, which means our bodies kind of make them on their own. Um, and these branched chain amino acids are specifically leucine, valine, and isoleucine. And, um, essentially they have been sort of blessed or, or knighted as these, as these like super amino acids over the past, like 35 years. And they've been marketed as after workout, take these and you will, it'll help build your muscles. It'll help repair. It'll help build them stronger. You know, we see this in not just endurance events, but in like, um, you know, bodybuilding, um, weight, you know, more like weight-based events. Um, so there's a huge industry behind this and there is literally no good randomized control trial data that supports uh, no meta-analysis data that supports that theory. So essentially your body does a pretty good job on its own of using the amino acids that are broken down from muscle when you're exercising and what they're getting from food to build back the muscle that they need, that it needs. Um, and so taking in these branch chain amino acids, um, orally, and there's even studies out there when, when, where people were getting IV supplementation of these branch chain amino acids, uh, and there really is no difference in how the muscles rebuild, um, which is interesting. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, so, so I think, you know, instead of, you know, could this be a part of a healthy recovery? Yeah. Um, if it helps you, if you're using a, a BCAA uh, supplement to help get some protein after a workout, um, then it's not going to, you know, you're not going to it's not going to hurt you. Um, but I think if you're expecting superpower gains from these supplements, you're going to be disappointed. Um, 
And I think a lot of what we see in like the media is probably these people are not just taking branch chain amino acids. It's probably other supplements as well. Um, and good old fashioned hard work. Um, you know, <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's the interesting part about, about, about all this is when I was reading about it, um, is, you know, there's this huge industry supporting it. And I think that you can probably find a lot of like company run studies that show what you want to see. And we see that with drugs. We see that with, with, uh, you know, diabetes medications, anything. And it's like, Oh, this, this study showed uh 20% weight loss with this injectable diabetes medication. It's like, well, okay, what's the head to head with the other, Oh, we don't have that data. <laughs> so, um, are proteins essential for rebuilding muscle? Yes. Um, is it as important as we might think to get these branch chain amino acids? Maybe not. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. So sorry to disappoint. <laughs> no, it's, it sounds like, you know, uh, for the most part, as long as we're, you know, doing our job, you know, both before and during and after with hydrating and hydrating yeah. with, with the proper solutions, yeah. Um, and then eating a well-balanced diet, we really don't need to supplement, you know, too much. Right. Um, there's a million other supplements out there. You know, I mean, the, one of the, the new ones is collagen, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and we can probably do part two <laughs> and talk about some other, yeah. um, you know, stuff that's out yeah. on the market, but I, I yeah, sincerely appreciate all your time on, on yeah. going through all this with us and, and taking the time to look through the, the research and give us all yeah. the, the feedback. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I learned a few things myself, so it was cool. Um, yeah, I think, I think overall, you know, it's, it's, it's also about taking this with a, with no pun intended, a grain of salt, because you're, you're going to find that maybe what works for you as an athlete might not totally align with the literature and that's okay. Like, you know, like, you know what, I really feel better and I perform better when I take some branch chain amino acids and I take some salt tabs during long runs okay, that's fine. You know, that, you know, whether it's, whether it's placebo or whether it is actually doing something for your body, it doesn't matter. Um, these things in moderation are not going to hurt you. And, um, so it's, it's always, it's always, you know, take that, take that with a grain of salt and it's important to respect the literature, but also find what's right for you as an athlete. Oh man. Thank you, Dr. Judkins. <laughs> appreciate you, man. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I uh, hope you feel better. I uh, appreciate that. Thank Go take you. some vitamin D. <laughs> Well, just a lot, a lot that we unpack there. Uh, yeah, again, thank you, Dr. Judkins, for you know pulling up all that research, doing all that uh, backwards uh, background uh, research on on this topic, uh, giving us so much information. It really was. Uh, it was great to talk about a lot of this stuff. And as we said, there's just so many supplements out on the market. But uh, I think you know the gist of it is basically where there's no silver bullet that's going to help our running unless we have a deficiency that we need to accommodate. So, uh, you know, don't, don't overspend your money on supplements and, and things that are promising the world to you because there's nothing that's going to improve you like the activity itself. You know, we got to get out there and we got to run. Uh, but you know, if you are feeling, uh, you know, not normal for, uh, you know, over a week, uh, you know, especially if you're not feeling normal for two weeks, you know, you're feeling low energy and fatigued, uh, and you know, you don't suspect it's overtrading. Uh, you know, it's, it's a good thing to, to consult your physician, see if they think a blood test is in order and see if, if one of your levels is low and that you need to, uh, uh, <clears throat> you need to get something to, to help. 
So thank you, Dr. Jenkins. Uh, we've uh, got some fun guests coming up. Uh, Martin Sneakloth. I uh, hope to you know schedule an interview with him. He just finished the Bob Graham round as well as the Tahoe 200. Uh, Martin has a wealth of experience in ultra ra- running. Every time I turn around and see his Facebook page, he's doing something else. It's pretty incredible to follow uh, Martin and his adventures. So I'm hoping to have him on the podcast here soon. Uh, also, uh, Mike Fiosa. Uh, I, I hope I pronounced your name right, Mike, uh, F-I-O-C-C-A. Uh, I hope to have him on. He's has a military background, so we've had to go through, well, he's had to go through, and I appreciate him doing so, so many channels to just try to get this interview to possible. So uh, really looking forward to talking to Michael. Uh, and, uh, oh, man, just... Uh, as I mentioned in the past, Philip Ladder going to talk to him about flow uh, as he's written the book literally on running flow. Uh, it's just really cool to, to be able to talk to some of these folks and, and hear their experience and, uh, and share their knowledge. So uh, got some fun episodes coming up for everybody. Uh, we're kind of making our way through July here pretty incredibly. Uh, you know, the end of uh, next week will be uh, August. Uh, well, end of July, beginning of August. So that means newsletter time. Newsletter's coming out. So uh, if you want to subscribe to the newsletter, head over to my website, mrrunningpains.com. It's a free subscription for the monthly newsletter. I try to put as much training information and tips and reviews as I can into the uh, each article. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's been really fun to... Uh, to watch this newsletter evolve, uh, getting, you know, new subscribers each month. So I appreciate you guys supporting that. Um, and I appreciate my, uh, my Patreons. They help me do all of this stuff. So if you, uh, if you think about it and have, you know, an extra dollar a month, it really does go into helping me continue to produce the podcast. Uh, you know, I do all this on my own to get in the newsletter out there. Uh, you know, I just try to, Try to get as much as I can and much content as I can out there. Uh, coaching, coaching is uh, busy. Holy cow! Um, it's it's wonderful to have folks reach out um, and want to come on board for coaching. Um, you know, as I said in the past, uh, my style isn't for everybody. Uh, I, I love you know coaching and helping people, but um, you know I I I'm there for you on a daily basis. Uh, I try to, you know, make sure we're doing the right thing for you, but I'm not a, you know, I'm not the guy that's going to yell at you. <laughs> uh, so if you need that kind of accountability where somebody's yelling at you because you're not running, that's, <laughs> I'm not the drill sergeant. Uh, I am here for you to, to walk through it with you, to enjoy the process, to make sure things are going the way we want it to go. Uh, and I'll check on you if, if you had it run, I'll just say, you know, you do it okay. Did you, you know, did you not get this one in? Uh, but I'm not going to yell at you if, if you didn't do it, but. Uh, really, really enjoying that process. Uh, and I'm also really glad that, you know, Bigfoot is coming up. Uh, however it goes, it will be the close to my final project on my Lydiard, uh, foundation level three certification. So looking forward to, to wrapping that up, um, and getting that done. Uh, hope also to finish up the Macmillan, uh, certification here within the coming month, uh, as well as get started on the, uh, nutrition, um, uh, modules that the uh, USCA, UESCA, uh, they've they have a, uh, a nutrition 
um, certification. Now, it doesn't make me uh, a nutritionist. It certainly does not make me a dietitian. Uh, it just gives me a little bit more information so I understand things a little bit better uh, for my athletes. Not that I'm going to try to recommend anything beyond my scope, but uh, it just you know, makes my education a little bit more complete. Uh, so <clears throat> lots going on. Uh, excited for this. Uh, just excited to be able to run again and feel healthy uh, relative to how I felt this past week. So again, thank you guys all for reaching out, for checking on me, and, and uh, I hope everybody else is doing well. Uh, this new strain, you know, it's uh, it's super contagious. So please be careful out there. Um, and uh, if you guys got any questions, comments, concerns, please reach out in whatever way is easiest for you. You can connect with me through my website, mrrunningpains.com. Uh, connect with me on Strava, uh, Facebook, uh Instagram, whatever is easiest for you. Uh, love to hear from you, your thoughts, your comments, uh, future podcast uh, content, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, things you want to hear about in the newsletter, you know, reach out. I certainly appreciate that. And I, as always, I thank you guys for listening. Thank you for my Patreon supporters for supporting. And uh, gosh, I'll talk to you guys next time. But until then, keep running. <laughs>